1: The food system is the largest segment of the world's economy as well as its health system. Yet with the growing world population and climate change threatening our food supply, the food industry globally is in the process of needing to adapt. They face not only the problems of producing enough sustenance for everyone, but they have to find a way to do it without adding to global warming. Our next guest look at this vital issue. Ray Goldberg is an emeritus professor of agriculture and business at Harvard University. He's also author of the book Food Citizenship, Food System Advocates in an Era of Distrust. He joins us uh, from Boston today. Also joining me here in studio, Georgia Pekoski, who's a senior fellow at the Zicklin Center for Business Ethics Research here at the Wharton School and a former executive at the World Bank. Ray, thank you very much for your time today.
0: Well, thank you, Dan, for the privilege of being here.
1: Thank you, Georgia. Great seeing you again. Thank you yes, for coming in. Yes, thank you for inviting me. Ray, what what was it that really motivated you to to write a book about the global food system?
0: Well, the ability to understand the change makers of the food system was. Important because most people don't have the opportunity to know the women and men who are the change makers. I felt that because I've had these men and women in class and also have had them in a seminar for 25 years trying to work with each other and trying to understand each other in the private, public, not for profit, and consumer advocates group, I felt that. The public and the rest of the academic community should know more about these people.
1: And and the word agribusiness is is obviously something that plays a a role here. When did that word really start to come into, into use?
0: Well, John Davis and I were asked by Harvard Business School to describe what is the food system historically, everybody looked at it as a functional operation from a vertical structure from the seed to a loaf of bread. But they never looked at it as a global system of interdependent, interrelated activities. And there wasn't a name for it. So we decided we had to create a name. So Davis and I thought about it, recognized that Every part of the food system is somewhat of a business, and we called it agribusiness.
1: How did you, Georgia, come to meet and, and become partnership with uh, Professor Goldberg in the first place?
2: Well, that's been kind of uh, a long time ago. Uh, I consider Ray as my mentor, in fact. Uh, I was at uh, Harvard at that time, right. and I took his courses at the business school, and that really shaped my career, not just a career, but also my view of the world.
1: Now, you spent time at the World Bank. How much did what we're talking about here have have a mindset in what you were doing at the World Bank as well? Well, I think the interaction with Ray uh, that tremendous sense
2: of bringing reality at the table, interacting with real-life people, also shaped my activities inside the World Bank. Because sometimes these big multilateral development organizations are not always well uh, prepared to really understand the needs of real people and adjust the policy and meet uh, their requirements.
1: It's interesting, uh, Ray, the first line in the book, as I mentioned at the top, says the global food system is the largest segment of the world's economy. I guess off of that, is there the recognition that it actually has that level of importance?
0: Well, the recognition is really not fully understood by the public and the reason it's not understood by the public they think of it as either farming or a supermarket but never look at the total vertical structure that holds it together and the coordinating mechanisms that help it adjust i felt that it was important to enable the reader to not understand to not only understand the vertical system right. but more importantly to understand the people in that system and how they work together or don't work together.
1: So how, how is the understanding of what this industry is? How is that, uh, is that brought toge- uh, brought forward? And, and how much of it is, is taught in business schools?
0: Since we created the agribusiness program at Harvard Business School, there's over 100 different programs created throughout the world. In addition to that, The students need to be multidisciplined in nature because it's not just food or business. It's health. It's economic development. It's the environment and uh, natural resources. And it's economic development because if you don't get that food system right, you don't have economic development.
1: So then in many cases, you're talking about uh, businesses and entities from different sectors coming together to try and, and develop a better good, correct?
0: Absolutely. And also educating people with disciplines in health, nutrition, economic development, government, business, public policy, all having to understand that, and our students understand that because they cross-register in all these various departments to better understand and better be prepared to work in that field. Georgia?
2: Well, I, I, I still believe that much more needs to be done. And it's not just a matter of the business school. I think it's also a matter of the big multinational companies which operate in this space and to clearly communicate that these are kind of profile of people they need. Uh, for 21st century to be competitive, so I think there is
1: a lot of additional work that needs to be done. So we need to have even more focus on on some of these cross-sector partnerships in order to really, truly head where we need to go in the next 40 to 50 years.
2: Absolutely. I mean, just take uh, the the progress in information technology, you know, Silicon Valley, this and that. But at the end of the day, you know, overnight you get uh, Amazon coming in this system, changing the rules over there. And to the extent Amazon really understand fully what an integrated food system is all about yeah. you'll be better positioned to take a leadership role in changing the system in a positive way
1: this book uh, uh, professor goldberg is very interesting because you you really do uh, kind of open up to a lot of uh, different interviews and and different mindsets on these topics what went into i guess picking some of the people that you actually did for the book including the gentleman sitting with me here in this studio
0: I wanted to make sure that the women and men that I picked represented the change makers in the food system. I wanted to make sure I had the most constructive critic of the food system who could enumerate all the things that were wrong with that system. I wanted to find people who were creating new relationships, such as creating a... uh, dispute resolution so that migrant workers and business people could work together. I wanted a a company that not only tried to fix a broken dairy system in China, but made sure that every part of that system was represented in teaching it, including a school in the United States and a school in China, a government of the United States, a government of China, farmers in the United States, farmers in China, and even competitors working together in a collaborative way so that they together in a collaborative way could fix a very broken dairy system in China.
1: And, and so Georgia plays a role in this book. What was important in, in including him, right?
0: It was critical because most of the malnourishment and poverty that exists in the world, exists in the food system. Georgia, when he was at the World Bank and now he's at Wharton, has been the pioneer in looking at how the food system and the malnourished, impoverished uh, person who is a subsistent farmer can become part of the commercial food system. He is the one who has stressed that you have to work across the system vertically and horizontally in order to make that system work more effectively. And not only that, we have to have case studies like Jain Irrigation in India where they not only help the farmers get water resources, but actually help them have a market that's a guaranteed market So when they invest in all these change-making activities, they will not be hurt by any major change in the market. This man has done more in the World Bank and in Wharton to change the global food system than anybody else I know.
2: Well, uh, Ray, thank you very much. This was very uh, kind of you. and uh, as I mentioned, really the the interaction with you and the other change makers really helped me to start changing the way the World Bank was approaching these issues, particularly in the context of malnutrition, I think it was very critical to bring on board the private sector. Because at that time, uh, that was kind of a problem for governments, non-government organizations, but without involving big multinational companies to be part of that, and not as a philanthropic engagement, but it's something absolutely critical for them to compete, uh, is uh, you know the, the, the critical thing I was uh, pushing there.
1: Is there, in many cases, Georgia, with companies, multinationals, that... It, has there been just this mindset of well, you know, we are helping out. We are, you know, we are we are willing to provide some of our resources to to be able to try and make an impact on this instead of really understanding how important it is f- as a role for these companies moving forward. Well, we have an illusion, you know, if they are big, if they are multinational, they
2: have all that the knowledge in the world. Sure. I right. mean, the first lecture I gave at Wharton, I mean, at the class. Is Nike in the problem they have with uh, chi- uh, child, child labor. labor. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. company of that reputation is, uh, and uh, integrity to make this kind of mistake. So the engagement with the private sector was also creating opportunities for this company to understand they have to change their core business, and that change yeah. will not come without access to relevant knowledge.
1: Ray, why do you think that, then as we sit here in 2018 that at times there hasn't been enough discussion about a lot of these topics.
0: Well, I think that it took a uh, revolution for, first of all, the medical community to realize that nutrition uh, was more important than popping pills. It took a while for the medical schools to realize that the food system was more important than uh, the pharmaceutical system in, in the terms of health. Also, the uh, technology and the scientific discovery of CRISPR and other things that take single parts of a cell that in turn can tell you or improve the way you attack uh, a particular disease so that it enables the person to cure the problem they have with food as well as with pharmaceuticals recently someone gave up and a young lady who wasn't who had cancer and they tried everything and they finally gave up except they tried to finally use nutrition to see if they could conquer and fight that cancer and lo and behold that worked
1: Georgia uh Let me let me ask you this then this this question then, Ray. What are the 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 big trends that are that are occurring out there in glo- the global food system? And technology is obviously a, a big player in so many different businesses out there right now. How is technology playing a role in, in what we're seeing in global food?
0: Technology is playing a role in several dimensions, not only in health in terms of identifying diseases and relating it uh, to the individual human or to plants or to animals, but it's also playing a role in evaluating the use of land and water usage that in turn can produce unique crops that have pharmaceutical properties that are then enabling the farmer to actually make a better living by developing something that's not only food, but something that fights diseases and improves the health of the ultimate consumer. In addition to that, the science is just in its infancy in terms of productivity, in terms of providing alternatives, uh, to meat and using cell culture so that we don't have to use so many land and water uses to produce animals and poultry uh, a whole revolution is occurring that changes who are the major change makers but also what they do about it and The most important thing that I think you should realize and the listener should realize is that the food system has changed from being a transactional operation to a collaborative operation. It's not just how much cheaper you can buy something or how much more you can sell something for, but how do you work together to make the system more effective and actually more responsive to consumers nutritional needs, economic needs and doing it in a way that improves the environment.
1: Then what do you what do you think then having that mindset is going to mean potentially for Uh, For our society, for our culture in general, if you have that collaborative mindset, then obviously you have various entities that understand how significant uh, the issues could be in the years to come.
0: It's done several things. First of all, it's changed the way we teach. We now have collaborations between the business school, the government school, the School of Public Health, Uh, and the environmental people. We now have collaborations between the private sector, the public sector, and the not-for-profit sector that never existed before. And we also have a science that can not only change the nutrition of plants, animals, and humans, but can change how everything is produced by the very nature of understanding better what are the component parts of plants and animals and humans so that we can finally have an integrated whole. We also are getting a generation of millennials who care more about the food system, who understand this better than the elders, and they themselves are anxious to be part of that revolution. So for me, it's the most exciting time in the world for the food system.
2: Georgia? I mean, there's another very important angle, particularly these days uh, where the World Bank Group and other development banks have been engaged is innovative forms of finance. You know, it's not just to have a collaborative uh, mindset, but sometimes you need a collaborative mindset because the market itself cannot immediately award this new business model in implementation. So you need some kind of bridge finance to help make that. And this is available now. So called blended finance, but I still companies have to learn through that collaborative engagement with others to develop business models that will will take full advantage of these innovative forms of finance. And let me give you another very interesting example. Now you have Bill Gates Foundation basically financing a privately owned company in uh, Switzerland, Firmenich to develop a a new product so that millions of people around the world can use toilets. And this uh, source of finance for a a well-known, well-established foundation going directly to a private company is just telling you uh, how this innovation reached a level we couldn't talk about uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago.
1: In in the book, Georgia, you, you talk about Millennium Development Goals. Now, there's also Sustainable Development Goals. So. Take us into those two and and really what some of the differences are. Well,
2: initially, when the Millennium Development Goals were launched in 2000, uh, that was the first time, I would say, the United Nations and governments around the world to get together and think in a more holistic way of how to deal with development issues. Now, the success in these 15 years of implementation was mixed, but I think the learning was pretty uh, useful for that. So when they launched the Sustainable Development Goals, they came with even more comprehensive approach, 17 goals and 169 uh, uh, specific targets. So that make it easier to start monitoring and organizing how this collaborative effort yeah. uh, will move forward. But two major or three major lessons they learn is that the private sector has to play absolutely critical role in that. The second was the innovative forms of finance. Otherwise, nothing will really happen in a mass scale. And what Ray mentioned, how we engage the young people to start taking responsibility
1: for uh, the future of this planet. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, millennials now are the largest group of of people you know, in terms of uh, sector that we have right now. So I, I guess there should be an expectation that it, it would be millennials and, and then maybe Gen Z would be the ones that would be driving a lot of this change, correct? Yes, but uh,
2: in order for them to be more productively engaged, they have to have a right access to knowledge. And that was what Ray was basically saying. Yeah. Uh, you need to have that as an integral part of the regular curriculums And to make that happen, we need additional forms of access to knowledge with these young people so they can pressure
1: the universities to start delivering what they really need to change the world. So then what do you think is is really, the when you get into this book that people will read, what really are the core benefits of of going through this book and and understanding the process that's going on right now? I mean, I start using the book at my teaching at Wharton. And the reason
2: for that is that these are real-life people who have done something, and this is their interpretation of what they did. So there is not a filter who will put that in academic or non-academic context. So this is kind of living the lives of a number of change makers, which according to Ray, he chooses them very carefully, uh, and I, I see really the the main benefit. And so far, the feedback I am getting, you know, this uh, uh, access to real knowledge is really something which uh, pushed the young people to think in a different way.
1: Ray, having put this book together, what's the reaction that you're getting from from people from organizations?
0: Well, the people reaction uh, that I get is that. They find um, that the value system of these people is the most surprising aspect of the book. What they finally realize is that when I ask the question of, you know, what's your background? Why, what do you believe in? Why are you doing all these things? That all of these men and women are caring about the planet they're caring about their fellow men, and they're doing more than just caring. They're hiring people who have those attributes so that when men go out and women go out to hire people, they look for people who want to make a difference in their organizations. And many of the chief executives of these companies don't come from traditional business institutions. They come from nutritional courses they come from medical schools right and the scientists themselves even though they know the science is important they also know that safety is important so that they say to themselves that no matter how good they are in the science they have to be equally or even more efficient in the safety in the use of that science the other thing that we haven't mentioned is that the source of funding has become important. Right. And we have to be careful that those funds are not sourced in such a way that the people supplying the funds influence the results of the studies that are being involved. I believe very seriously that we need sort of a CPA kind of activity for the food system that people can trust in and can help. And when you mention financial institutions, the people who supplied the funds for the Dairy Farm Institute in China were the IFC, International Finance, uh, section of the World Bank, but the other people who supplied the finance was Bank, which was a collection yep. of farm cooperatives in the Netherlands. So. I think what you're seeing is a recognition by all the actors in this food system that who they are, what they are, means that they have to have a special respect for the importance of this institution to society. Georgia?
2: I mean, just another, I think, important feature is that not only that uh, Ray very carefully find the leaders, But in the book, you will see that they became leaders because they recognize the importance of the local leaders and create space for them to take a leadership role and make these things happen on the ground.
1: Ray, thank you very much for your time today, Professor Goldberg. I greatly appreciate your insight and thank you for joining us and uh, congratulations on the book.
0: Well, thank you for the privilege of being interviewed by you. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm very grateful for it. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Ray. All the best. Georgia, it's always great seeing you. Thank Thank you you very much. much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And again, uh, the book is called Food Citizenship, Food System Advocates in an Era of Distrust. Uh, The book is available in bookstores and online for your purchase right now.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.
2: Thank you